He has risen. Do you know where that comes from? We say it, and sometimes we have these traditions that we have no idea where the background's from. Would you like to know? (laughs) They call it the Pascal greeting. And usually, back when this first started, they would say, he has risen, he has risen indeed. And then they would greet each other with three kisses. We're not going to do that this morning. It comes out of Luke 24, 34. It's very old. It was first started in the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox and Catholic traditions where they have a lot of different liturgy practices. So this tradition that we do, when I say he has risen, you say, has been done centuries throughout the Christian community. But what does it mean? Kadesh Barnea. It's a place of risk or retreat. It's a brink of hope, a brink of promise. Israel saw God deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. They saw the miracle of the Red Sea. They watched how they were fed day and night. Millions of people. And they come to that point in time. They stand at the entrance to a land they prayed for for over 400 years. They prayed for a deliverer to come and take them to the promised land. And they are faced with a decision. Go in or retreat. And being faced with reality, many said it's too risky. We can't go in. And they had all their logical reasons, even though everyone claimed that it was exactly what God told them it would be. And they chose to retreat. And it cost an entire generation living in the wilderness until they died. So I want to talk about risk this morning. And I looked it up in the dictionary, and here's what it said. Risk management is the identification, assessment, and prioritization of risk. Yeah, meant a lot to me. And I started thinking about risk, no matter what the dictionary said, and and I thought, you know, risk is a normal part of every day. I mean, what are we willing to risk for, and for what, and for who? And this morning, I could talk about economics and investment strategies and lifestyle risks. I could talk about politics, but I'm not going there. That's way too risky. (laughs) But I realized when we talk about risk, most of us want to create certainty out of uncertainty. And certainty is a myth. Doesn't exist. With one exception. And we're going to get into that in a moment. But the truth is, we risk every day. When you leave here, for those that drove, while you are in control of how you drive your car, you risk everybody else on the road because you have no idea how they're going to drive. It's out of your control. It's out of your control about the mechanics of your car. You may take care of it. You may check the oil, but something could fall off. And something could fall off on every other car on the road. But rather than talk about those kind of risks, 
I want to put risk in the light of what we call church. Now, when I talk about church, I'm not talking about buildings and programs. We have many different traditions, and traditions are just the clothing we happen to put on our particular brand of church. What I want to talk about is people. The body of Christ is people. It's relationships. It's with Christ and it's with each other. And I want to ask this question. What are you willing to risk in terms of the church? Now, ultimately, we have to ask, is our risk consistent with Christ? I mean, we celebrate his resurrection. When I say he has risen, you respond how? We believe that, but how does that integrate into our life? What are we willing to risk because of that resurrection? Today we speak of incredible opportunity, but we, do we live that opportunity? Or like Israel, when faced with the promised land, we retreat into a wilderness. Now, if you want to find out what people are willing to risk for, just look at two things in their life. One is look at what they fight over and for. <laughs> that tells you what they're willing to risk. It's what makes them angry. The other is look at their investments. Where have they placed their time and their money and their stuff? That'll tell you a lot about where their risk lies. Think about the church then. I'm going to read a rather lengthy quote from David Platt that talks about choices that we have. Our Kadesh Barnea. Here's what he says. We can retreat into a wilderness of wasted opportunity. We can rest content in casual, convenient, cozy, comfortable Christian lives as we cling to safety and security this world offers. We can coast through a cultural landscape marked by materialism, characterized by consumerism, and engulfed in individualism. We can assent to the spirit of this age and choose to spend our lives seeking worldly pleasures, acquiring worldly possessions, and pursuing worldly ambitions, all under the banner of cultural Christianity. Or we can decide Jesus is worth more than all this. Amen? Jesus tells a story of a business owner. It's found in Matthew 13. He finds this field. And he discovers it has a treasure buried in the field. And so he went to purchase the property and it came at an incredible cost. He realized that he literally had to sell everything he had. Empty all his retirement accounts, everything gone. Just to get the money together to buy this land with this treasure in it that nobody saw. What I find interesting in that phrase in Matthew 13, here's what it says. He did this with joy. Is Jesus worth losing everything for and over? Paul writes these words in Philippians chapter 1, in verses 20 and 21, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this familiar thing, and this is what this means. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying Christ is worth losing everything. 
Paul also tells us that the ultimate meaning of life is connected to Christ. In Colossians 1.16, all things were created through him and for him. Catch that phrase, through him and for him. The meaning of life is global. Everyone, all things, this is what we live for, this is what we die for, to make Christ glorious, to advance his kingdom. And much of what people risk for today is wilderness wandering. I have a book on my shelf. It was written in 2005. A person got this crazy idea and did a simple invitation. He sent 3,000 postcards out and invited people to anonymously contribute a secret that nobody else knew to his art project. So they had to paint a picture and then write the secret on the picture. And so the instructions of the card read this way. Your secret can be anything as long as it's true and you've never shared it with anyone before. Be brief, be legible, be creative. He sent 3,000 postcards out and was overwhelmed with the results that he actually put them all in a book. Listen to what some people confessed. This is what's inside people's hearts. One lady wrote, I'm a Southern Baptist preacher's wife, and no one knows that I do not believe in God. A child wrote, I only ever played sports to feel like my father loved me. Someone else wrote, people think I've stopped lying, but I've just gotten better at it. Someone else wrote, sometimes I wish that I was blind so that I wouldn't have to look at myself every day in the mirror. There's literally thousands of confessions in this book. The depth of the secret that people are crying out for something to give them meaning. And they're willing to risk everything to find life. Now, as we start this morning, I need to address a core belief I have. When we talk about risk and we talk about our current cultural state, when you think about America and it applies to the world as well, if you haven't noticed, we are witnessing the messiness of politics. You have accusations, opinions, truth-twisting, lies and corruption, stage protests. It almost sounds like the crucifixion of Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, this is humanity at its best. And I hear so many people say, we have a Washington problem. And if we get the right people in the right positions, we once again will be whatever we thought we were. And again, we constantly rewrite history that we were not part of. But here's my core belief, and I agree with Tony Evans. You know why I say that? Because if you don't like it, you can blame Tony and not me. He stated in the message I heard him preach that America's problem, America's root cause is what is happening. America's root cause to what is happening to us today is a spiritual problem. He says the church stopped being the church. And to me what that means is we've settled for wilderness wandering instead of the promised land. What it means is the church is unwilling to risk everything for Christ. And so we live with a spiritual poverty. We're engrossed in our false worship. We're driven by 
selfish, individualistic desires, our gods, our addictions, our debt, alcohol, drugs, negativity, gossip, pride. The list could go on and on. And we fail to understand. We do not think well. And we've not taken care of our souls. And so we're driven by fear and greed and envy and anger. And many people today live in poverty. Economic poverty, spiritual poverty, and intellectual poverty. Now for me, that's a holistic concept. I don't like separating the spiritual from everything else because God invades everything that we are. And so if we're poor economically and we're poor intellectually, it's because we're poor spiritually. And what we fail to understand is the only risk that is certain is Christ. Remember I said about the myth of uncertainty or the myth of certainty? Well, the only thing that is certain is Christ. But risk is what you and I are willing to live and die for. Now, I want to look at some truths this morning, and I want to focus on one in particular, so I'm going to kind of go through the other ones fast that'll help you evaluate risk, because I don't know where you're at this morning. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, I encourage you to consider understanding who he is and accepting him for who he says he is. If you're here and you're a Christian, but you've been living in wilderness wandering instead of going into the promised land, it's time to turn around and walk in and trust God. And for those that are in the promised land and you feel defeated, don't. Because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as you find out later, he says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Romans chapter 8. You can turn there with me or follow along on the screen. And we're going to go through these first principles rather quickly. In verse 31, Paul writes these words, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, the first thing we have to realize is that God is for us. Think about that. Think about the incredible truth it has that when you look at, I mean, how many times in your life do you feel like everyone's against you? Not God. He wants to make you the best possible person that he designed you to be. Now, if you believe all the lies around you and you're trying to be somebody you're not, if you're trying to be somebody else you think other people want you to be, that's on you. God is for you. Keep that in your minds. Look at verse 32. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I mean, Christ died for us. It's why we celebrate Easter. There can be no resurrection before there's a crucifixion. For those that are visiting this morning, we spent three weeks talking about humility and understanding what it means to die to self. And if Christ is going to rise up within us, we have to be crucified with Christ. So God is for us. Christ died for us. Look at verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? You know, we, we live in a world of accusations, don't we? People are always accusing people of something, even when they don't know the truth. I love this verse because it's God who justifies. Christ justifies us. We do not have to hold account to any other 
person but Christ. And I got good news about that in a moment. We're going to see this. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So here we have these incredible truths. God is for us. He died for us. He justifies us. And he intercedes for us. And here's the one I want to hang our hat on for a bit. Christ loves us. This is something he does out of a spirit of love. This is something he does because, well, let's read this. This is one of the most powerful revelations that we can get into our heads and into our hearts. So often, as I talked about last week, we have systematic theology. We know what God's word says. But spiritual theology is getting into our hearts and understanding it in our souls so that we can practically live that out. You know what? You're going to read this with me. These are powerful, okay? They're on the screen. Read it with me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. I almost feel like I don't need to say anything else. Do you understand what you just read? I mean, think about this. Risking Christ. Here's what he says. Nothing will separate us from his love. If you don't remember anything else this morning, remember that. There's no person. Well, look at the list. There's absolutely nothing. The only thing keeping you from the love of Christ is what? You. It's you. No, Jesus conquered sin. <laughs> you go clap. Go ahead. Now let's break this apart a little bit. First thing we find out about Christ loving us is this, that God does not shelter us from difficulties. Again, look at the verse. It says tribulation, that's oppression. That's just a general word for you know, how you feel oppressed by things and people and situations. Distress, that's stress that threatens to break us like a stick. Persecution, that's active opposition to the gospel. Famine, nakedness, that's being homeless. Danger, threats to our physical, emotional, spiritual being. Sword, it's weapons used to harm or kill us. I mean, we live in a fallen world. And until he comes and brings in a new heaven and a new earth, he's giving us a choice. Christ or this world. Now, when you read that list, it seems like a no-brainer. But what keeps us from risking Christ? 
in this life, he will always love us. What that simply means is there's absolutely nothing you can do that will cause him to stop loving you. There's nothing. It also means there's nothing you can do that will cause him to love you more than he does right now. (laughs) So see, there's no privilege in the body. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, the reality is Christ loves you and he has a question for you. Will you let me in? Not do you deserve it. Not do you know everything about me so you can make this wonderful decision. What what amazes me about Christ is you can see a six-year-old accept Christ as their Savior. And you can see someone who's 86 accept Christ as their Savior. I have a friend who went to church all his life. It wasn't until he was 55 years old that he realized that he never had a personal relationship with Christ. Before, it was just the clothes he wore. It was the boards he sat on, the programs he was part of. So see, structural church does not save you. Good works does not save you. Other people do not save you. But it's Jesus Christ. It goes back to Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. You are my rod and my staff, and they will comfort me. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read these verses for you. When you think about difficulties and situations, and this is often called the the book of faith, and they start naming people. But I like what the author does at the very end of this chapter. Here's what he writes in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, of Samuel, and the prophets. Then he says this. He talks about people. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then he changes gears. Here's what he says. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment, They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. If you follow some of the news in the world that isn't in the front page, you realize in the Middle East this is happening to our brothers and sisters in the Lord right now. Some are being beheaded. Some lost everything, their jobs. Some are confronted with the reality, choose Christ and die. And they boldly proclaim to their captors, we choose Christ. For us, it's hard to imagine as a father and mother watching our kids tortured and killed in order to convert us, but that's what's happening. But this is the kind of world we live in. But guess what? Nobody can separate those people or us from his love.
Second thing this tells us is he gives us power to conquer. The idea here is that we are super conquerors. We're beyond conquerors. Not the power that we have, but it's the Holy Spirit. He invades us. He helps us. There's this promise. There's this promise of God's presence. And he helps us draw strength from him. So whatever you're facing, whatever circumstance or situation, you are a super conqueror. Now, you're not God, okay? We did that little ritual a few weeks ago. Remember? I am not God. Say it with me. Turn to the person next to you and say, neither are you. But, but, you can say, I am a conqueror. Say that with me. I am a conqueror. I'll tell you what this world needs right now is they need more conquerors. Here's the third truth out of this passage. We do not need to fear losing the love of Christ. You know, I love this whole thing he goes down through. Life and death, angels and demons, present and future. Nothing in all creation. Once that gets in your heart, it will transform you. If it only gets up in your head, you're going to play games saying, well, yeah, I got it today, but I lost it because I went out and did something I shouldn't have done. That's not how it works. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. And he will never leave nor forsake you. Let me illustrate this in a story. A story of a young lady. She was in her 30s. She's part of the, the last church I pastored. And when we found her, we got this call one day. Um, She's in the hospital. She had been beaten and raped on multiple occasions in the streets of Lancaster. She was an addict. Process over time, and, and I remember this friend of hers. He was so gentle. He was so gracious. He walked with her when nobody else would. He was kind. He loved her in spite of her past. And a process over time, she found Christ. Process over time, her life cleaned up from drugs. Process over time, she got a job. She was doing well. And even though most of the people in our church would not have known her by name, she sat there and they would not have known her story because she had a different look on her face. Now let me say something about GBC for a moment. I know I talked about humility, okay? But understand there are some appropriate forms of pride. And one of the things I'm proud of in terms of this church is that we have a group of people here that don't exist in most other churches. They have struggled with the demons of addiction, drugs and alcohol and other forms. And I love watching how people in this church walk with them and how they walk with each other. And it's not a program but it's relationships, isn't it? It's how we encourage and walk with each other, and that's what we need to do. But back to my story about this young lady. It was some years later. I'm talking like eight, nine years. We got a 
call from her friend. And they found her dead. Evidently, she had made contact with one of her old drug dealers, and he was in prison, and so she was watching his apartment and found one of his stashes and took it and died. And that was tragic. But at her, well, it was that Sunday when I preached. What I knew I could do was speak of a beautiful daughter of Christ. Because even though that happened in our life, she was not separated from the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, all this passage we read, I didn't read the first verse of Romans chapter 8. And I want you to hear this. Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. People may condemn you. People may accuse you. But think about the God of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He does not condemn you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We quote that and we miss 17. He says he did not come into the world to condemn the world. So you see, when the church is the church, it is the most powerful force on the face of the earth. We are more than conquerors. And we move through and God transforms lives that no force can stop. No torture, no condemnation, no political force. Nothing can stop Christ's love and the fire that causes. Amen? Put that one verse back up there again. Romans chapter 1 verse, I mean 8 verse 1. Can we? There it is. Say this with me. And read it like you mean it. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who are you going to believe this morning? The Bible? Jesus? God? The world? How are you going to behave? <laughs> going to behave like Christ? Which means we accept him, we grow in him. Or you can be like everybody else that has a whole list of reasons why they can't. And they just blame and accuse and condemn. You realize when people condemn other people, it's because when they look in the mirror in the morning, they condemn themselves. See, out of our heart flows our words and our actions. So negative condemning people just exposing their own heart. And I find that tragic and it breaks my heart because they do not have to live in a state of condemnation. We're going to close with a song familiar to many of us. But as we do that, I need to ask this question because Christ is alive and well. And it's about time we act like it. Amen? If you're here this morning and you have not made that choice, that's where it starts. To everybody else, it's a choice you make every single day. Are you going to live like it? Are you going to act like he has risen indeed? Or are you just going to mouth the words? But if you're here this morning and you've not made that decision to accept Christ, I'd be amiss if I didn't give you the opportunity. So if you're here, just stand up, and we're going to make sure we're going to pair somebody up with you so that you understand what that means. So is anybody here this morning who would like to make a decision for Christ?
If you want to make a decision for Christ, just stand up. We're going to have somebody pray with you, okay? There's one. Okay. We're going to have somebody pair up with you, and they're going to go back and pray with you. So there we go. Just kind of go to the back. Anybody else? Of course, like we always do next week, I'll make sure you have her first time she can pray for. Right now, just make a decision. Okay? All right. He has risen indeed. I got it. Didn't think I hear, did you? Okay, make sure someone goes back with the, the young man who just stood up. Okay, I don't want him back there alone. I can't pick on Greg here this morning because he's not here. I see. Frank, okay, you got that? Great. Let's pray. Father, you are incredible. Um, don't know how else to express that. I pray somehow you get that majestic, whatever it is, down into our hearts because we live in poverty so many days we don't have to. So I pray for all of us, Lord, that our our witness is bright. I pray that we shine Christ no matter what forces come at us. And I pray, Lord, that um, we just start acting like we're the church. You are alive and well. We know that. And we are called to be that light in this world. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate here and worship to an audience of one. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Christ has risen.